Welcome to the Transform TV podcast series. Today, we've got a really special guest uh, who's coming all the way from the United States uh, to speak to us. We've got Donzel Leggett, who is, now bear with me here, Vice President, Global Manufacturing Excellence, Global Platforms, and Asia Latin Supply Chain at General Mills, but who also happens to be the founder and board chair of ARCC, the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition. Donzel, Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Maria. I'm very, very, very happy to be here. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey so far? Yeah, th- thank you, Maria. Again, I'm, I'm happy to be here. You know, I'm originally from Key West, Florida. So although I live in Minnesota now uh, in the United States, uh, you, you can't be more different in terms of culture and climate than being from Key West, Florida and living in Minnesota. You know, Key West is a, is a tiny island at the very tip of the state of Florida, it's the southernmost point of the continental United States. I actually was closer to the country of Cuba than I was to the city that Maria grew up in, which is Miami, believe it or Miami. not. Miami. Uh, so uh, I grew up around a, a tremendous amount of diversity growing up because Key West had you know, folks of Cuban descent, Bahamian descent, which is my family, was uh, came from the Bahamas. Um, it also has a large Navy base there. So there were always people from around the United States coming in to serve in the Navy in a large tourist attraction. So, you know, growing up, I always heard different languages being spoken, saw different people, saw different lifestyles. Key West at one time, and still maybe I had the largest gay population per capita in the United States as well. So I grew up around a lot of diversity and, and always, you know, was told by my, my, my family, in particular, my, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, my mom, you know, never judge a book by its cover, only its contents. So that always stuck with me, uh, no matter you know what I did and no matter where I went. And they also told me, you know, nobody's better than you, but you're not better than anybody else. It all comes down to how hard you're going to work and how you treat people. That's going to be the difference for you. And so that's kind of how I've lived my life. And um, you know, so I went to Purdue University to play college football. I enjoyed that time. That brought me to the Midwest. Uh, started my career in, in supply chain with the Quaker Oats Company. Um, you know, left there after about three and a half years uh, before they were acquired by PepsiCo. And then I've spent almost the last 25 years at General Mills. And, um, you know, I've been a a person who's been on a very, very high and steep executive track. Uh, And, you you know, as many of you know, you know, when you are striving to be an executive, a C-suite executive, you know, it's, it's not only the results you get, but it's, how you're viewed in the organization by senior leadership. So you kind of walk a fine line uh, many times in terms of being a strong leader, but avoiding controversial content and topics. Um, That all changed for me after the 2016 presidential election here in the United States, you know, where I was always very strong. And especially when it came to things that I thought were right and wrong, except for politics, I just stood step, stayed, stayed away from it. But I felt like that was such a seminal moment in, in, the, in the, the history of this country, uh, and in particular, what was used as rhetoric to cause division, I felt like people like me, executives who benefited from so many people helping them get to where they are, so many people came before me, um, you know, white, black, Latino, you name it, um, I've had help from everyone. I felt like it's on me to stand up and say something. People like me have benefited to get to where we are, to be an executive, if I don't speak out, who will? So I started speaking out strongly, started taking action, and that led to the eventual creation of, uh, of the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition 
uh, which I can talk more about later. But that just gives you a perspective. I've, I've been married now. My wife and I, this is our 27th year. We have uh, four great kids uh, that we feel proud of. They're, you know, the youngest is 19. The oldest is, is 27. Uh, and they're, um, they're, you know, have been launched really well. So this is a good time in our lives to really focus on what can we do socially to make a difference for so many other people in the world that aren't as fortunate as we are. You know, uh, I'm going to start with a tough question, right? Sure. I'm going to start with the tough question. How well do you think uh, supply chains across the U.S. and then maybe globally, but we probably speak a lot more to the, the Americas, yeah. how well equipped are they to when it comes to diversity and inclusion? Uh, not, not well adjusted is what I would say. And, and the reason is because, you know, we all know when you work in supply chain, our number one accountability is to support the business needs. Yeah. And so it comes down to what business uh, needs and priorities are, are being um, you know, pushed forward from the business and senior leaders. And they're, they're, you know, I've worked around the world. So my accountabilities, as, as you said earlier, are global. I've, I've worked uh, in sort of international and global businesses now uh, for almost 10 years. So I, and I worked before that, I was, you know, worked across the United States and in and, and North America with Mexico and Canada. So I've seen a lot and I've done a lot of benchmarking. And what I can tell you is that we don't have enough manufacturing com companies mm -hmm. that really prioritize what I would say people well-being. So even before you get to diversity and inclusion, I would just say there's not a lot that prioritize people well-being. And we always have to remember that manufacturing companies span a, a highly strong you know, and diverse spectrum. You know, they're, they're, yeah, we, we, we think of it usually as the big companies, you know, the companies that you yeah. know, are 5 billion in sales, 10 billion in sales, 20 billion in sales. But there are so many more that are medium to small companies. And we also tend to think about high tech industries or at least high profit industries, we think manufacturing. But so much more of manufacturing is low profit margin business. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when you really start understanding the spectrum, the vast spectrum of manufacturing, especially in emerging markets, you start to get a quick, very, very fast perspective, you know, in terms of branded manufacturers who are big, smaller ones that are not branded, OEMs or external supply chain or co-packers. You start to understand ingredient producers, packaging material producers, commodity producers. The conditions in, in across this spectrum are vastly different. And to me, the first thing that you notice is, again, concern for people well-being. And, and, well, and, and, and sorry if I interrupt you, let me add to that COVID, yeah. you know, now more so than ever. I mean, if that, that, that wasn't a problem before, but now we're working in really difficult terrain, really difficult situations, you know, people working from home, uh, you know, no flexibility in some instances. Um, so, yeah, so I would, if, sorry to interrupt you, but well, I was just thinking you're, t you're speaking the truth here and then add to that COVID. Absolutely. And, and, and you've seen, you know, that there were significant uh, spread and outbreak of COVID in manufacturing facilities. In particular, you know, meatpacking industry was one yeah. that certainly highlighted. I think there were a couple auto manufacturers that had to close. You know, we, we basically have been able to operate. And the reason is because the very first thing that we did was focused on people well-being. Mm -hmm. and, and so I, I go back, you know, one thing I can tell you that I, I am proud of, of General Mills about, about this, and that is 
that our top value is to do the right thing all the time. Yeah. And, and you know, pretty much across the board from a senior leader standpoint, and, and this permeates down through the organization, we tend to lead with that. And that causes us to lead with safety and well-being of people. So because that's our value, when COVID hit, we were caught off guard just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. But because we had this value that's longstanding of doing the right thing all the time for our employees, we immediately said the first thing we got to do is ensure that our people are safe. That's the first thing we have to do and put all our time, energy, and resources into doing that. Once we ensure they're safe, now, let's. the second thing is how do we ensure they stay safe, both in the plant, on the way to the plant, on the way home, and at home? How do we give them the capability, the skills, the tools, and the knowledge to stay safe and stay COVID-free? Now, we know that you're not going to be perfect, but how do we do that? That's what we developed. And then we said, how do we hold ourselves accountable to role model that and to make it easy for our people to do that and to keep them inspired to follow those guidelines? And I can proudly tell you that, you know, we have had very minimal uh, production disruption because we've had, you know, really some of the some of the lower incidence rates, um, you know, in particular in my organization, you know, I can tell you that you know, uh, whether it's India, I've got a plant in India, I've got plants in Brazil, I've got plants in China. We haven't had one positive case in China. And that's, of wow. course, COVID-19 started. Not one. The government allowed us to start back up sooner than almost any other industry because they saw all the protocols that we had put in place. And they actually used us as an example for other industries, said, follow what these guys do. We had the same thing happen in Brazil, where the government said, wow, and regulators looked at what we're doing, the protocols we put in place. They said, wow. In every one of our facilities that, that I'm accountable for, our people tell us they, they feel safer in our plants than they do outside in society when it comes to COVID-19 protection. So that's you know, to me what's missing. You know, Dante, I'm going to ask you a question. I said I was going to ask you a tough question. I think <laughs> what I'm going to say now is a bit maybe controversial and tough as sure. well. Yeah. especially as someone who comes from a minority group. Yeah. I feel that sometimes perhaps over my career, the there's been a lot of lip service paid to inclusion and diversity. Yeah. Do you think that for once now we're start or some companies are starting to see, and I'm generalizing, I'm not being, you know, I'm not speaking about any specific industry or company. Uh, but do you think for once we're now starting to see a direct correlation between employee wellness, diversity, inclusion, how you treat people straight to the bottom line, straight to the impact it has on a business's resilience? That, that, that's a tough question. I, so I, my, my answer would be, I'm not sure if we're quite seeing that yet. I, I'm not sure, especially here in the United States. I, I, I'm not sure the answer to that. Uh, and, and the reason is that you know we, we have a very split country right now. Um, it, it, I mean, I'm not saying anything that no one doesn't know. Most people know that. I mean, if you look at you know what's happened in the last election and how the votes went, um, you know, it's very, very split. I'm not, I think it's all going to come down to what actions do we see. So the things that I'm looking for is a change in the language of companies. So to me, it's, it's really no longer should be about diversity, inclusion, and equity. It should be about anti-racism and anti-hate. And so there, there's a difference. To me, diversity, inclusion, and equity means let's teach everyone that we have to accept others, accept others. And, and, and create an environment in which they don't feel uh, threatened or that they at least feel welcomed or, you know, they, so it's, mm-hmm. it's more about removing uh, uncomfortableness. Yeah. That to me is what diversity, 
equity inclusion is about. What anti-racism and anti-hate is about is identifying all the structures that exist that continue to uh, allow racism and hate to, to permeate through our society and the company. So to me, you can't, you can't say, our, we're only going to talk about what happens at our company because everything that happens in society, in your city, yeah. in your state, in your country, those people come to your plant. They work there. They come yeah. into your company. So you now have to say, no, we have to attack the structures that create this racism and, and the hate. So examples, in, in the United States, an African-American, Latino make about 70 cents to every dollar that a white person makes. For women, it's even less than that. Yeah. For white women, it's 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 they don't make as much on a dollar. Mm-hmm. They're probably twenty five cents less. So we know that that exists. We know that home ownership. Uh, there's a significant gap between people of color and the majority. We know that education levels and, and conditions in schools. There's a disparity. We know that wealth creation. So we know all these things exist, but no one really does anything or talks about it. So what I like to see is companies actually do something about that. And that's not going to just require you to donate money to a food bank. You know, we all know the old saying, it's, it's better to, uh, to, to teach someone how to fish and give them the, yeah. the tools to fish than to just keep giving them a fish. Cause at some point, you know, they're going to, they're going to starve. So you've got to, you've got to help people by changing the dynamics in society, not just your company. So we see companies start to lean in and, and do that, to come out of their comfort zone, then we know we're making progress. So I'll give you one example that told me maybe, maybe we're getting somewhere. The jury's still out, but maybe we're getting somewhere. National Association of Manufacturers, very right-leaning organization, supported 45 when they were one mm-hmm. of the first CEOs to meet with him uh, after he became president. Um, so very right-leaning group. Uh, yeah. After the insurrection occurred on January 6th in the United States, they were the first organized oh, business yeah. to come out and, and, say, and stand against that, stand against 45, and stand against all the Republican leaders mm. who were continuing to say that the election results weren't correct. They said, we're going to pull our money. This is a line. That was a big moment. That was a big moment. That's that a big what moment. we got to have. we got to have more businesses come out and say, we stand against white supremacy. We, all right, we well, stand against can, government who uh, does not take action to break down all of these disparities, the structural racism and structural systems in our in our society that hold one group down. Until that happens, uh, then then I, I have to say I'm not sure. But at least there was a good sign. But you know what? Let's I completely agree with you. And but let's let's be more selfish about it, right? So yeah. let's say obviously we want to do this because we want a better society. I mean, who doesn't? You know, we want a better society. We've got to do better. But let's talk about our audience, their supply chain leaders, they're faced today with a big problem about, you know, com- competition. Uh, yes. And I think consumers are demanding better of the companies that they work with. Uh, that is a real thing. That is a real thing. So if you're not going to do it because you don't believe it, at the very least, do it because you have to do it because your, your clients are going to dem- demand it. Yes. On top of that, what about attracting talent into the industry? You know, we have, I think I've always said that supply chain and manufacturing have an image issue, you know, with attracting new young talent. It's not seen as sexy or, you know, it's exciting as joining a, a, a social media company or joining a dot-com company, right? So we already have that issue. And if your organization isn't just passively donating and passively, you know, acting against racism or against or about inclusion and diversity, but isn't actually taking a stand, do you think that they'll have an impact on 
recruitment, retention, compet- competition. I mean, the, the, being very selfish about it, the the, uh, uh, the damage could be quite significant. Absolutely. So there's no question in my mind, if you want a competitive advantage, uh, you know, you, you certainly can go out and say, I'm going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on the on the most up-to-date automation system, on the most up-to-date computer integration system, and I'm going to run my business with data analytics. Most manufacturers cannot do that. They don't have the mm-hmm. funds to do it. They don't have the margins to do it. And certainly if you're a supply chain leader, you don't have the pocketbook. You can't sign the check to go do that. Uh, the businesses that you have to pay for, the PL has to pay for it. Uh, so the, the, to me, the greatest way still in supply chain to drive competitive advantage is, the, is inspiring your people. And I can tell you multiple stories about that. But hey, let me just give you just one quick example. It starts with purpose. What, what is the purpose of your organization? And it can't continue to be to make more money. That doesn't inspire people. people doesn't cut it anymore. In other ways. So there has to be a higher level of purpose that you're, that you're trying to strive for. You know, whether that purpose is ensuring that people in emerging markets have jobs that sustain them and allow them to take care of their families to move out of poverty. That would be something that I see as a purpose. Another purpose would be ensuring that we're making food that is good for people and affordable for people that they can trust so they can afford it, buy it, it's shelf stable, and they have something to feed to their family to continue to raise the well-being of of their family. That's a purpose. Ensuring that we're doing things in a way to take care of our planet so that our little children, the ones who are going to be here in 50 years, that are going to be in their children, are going to be here in 100 years, still have a planet that's, that's habitable and that they can enjoy life. That's a purpose. The young people you talked about, that don't see manufacturing as sexy, if we find a way to talk to them, that's how I talk to them about yeah. why they should join manufacturing. It starts with purpose. It's more than just coming here to help us make, you know, a hundred more widgets, you know, a hundred yeah. more boxes of, of cereal or something like that's that. That's not going to cut it anymore. Information to, to change society. The second thing I talk to them about is inspiring them. So you got to have purpose that inspires their, their source of doing good, but you have to have inspiration to help them learn to get better. All right, there's no better place to learn how to lead than if you work in a manufacturing environment or a supply chain because you're leading people. You have to figure out everything that makes everybody tick and find a way to inspire them. Where are young people going to get that opportunity? Very few. I got a chance to lead people that were twice my age when I was 23 years old. I was, you know, leading a, a you know a, an entire department of 250 people, people that were average 45, 50 years old. Where else are you going to get that opportunity? Very few yeah. places can you get that than in supply chain and manufacturing. So the opportunity to lead. And the third, the opportunity to be agile. And this is a lot, a lot of times where supply chain leaders really have a hard time. You know, you have to let go. If you're, if you're going to attract young people in your organization, you have to give them the ability to engage. And engagement means they jointly own. And if they jointly own, let them make decisions to drive your agility. Because that's the biggest challenge we have is how do you how do you become agility and keep up with consumer demand? If you can do those things, you can drive competitive advantage. So I'll just give you an example. Again, I just talked about the fact all of us are going through this COVID-19 pandemic. You would think it'd be tough to keep your performance moving forward because you're only spending all your time just keeping everyone safe. Well, because the way I lead is all about bringing diverse perspectives in, getting our team from Brazil, China, uh, India all together sharing best practices and focusing on them, you know? So our purpose, higher level, take care of our communities. 
everywhere in those societies. Number two, ensure that they are leading and that the people that are they're under them are elevated to lead in a differential way. And then third, helping them by inspiring them on the business requirements that we want to hit uh, to not only deliver the business, but to reward our people. So they feel yeah. like the time they're putting in is something they can be proud of. Well, just doing those things, again, I mentioned how, how we've been able to you know, manage through this, this virus, but in doing that, just put in perspective, our plant performance in the last 18 months is up 11 points, 11 points. Just in the last uh, 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 10 months, I think, or no, nine months, we're up you know, six points. Uh, I mean, in December alone, we're pretty much wow. all plants around the world struggle because of holidays and end of year and all these things. You know, we had our best. We we're up six points just in December. I mean, and I haven't been there once. I haven't. I can't travel. I used to try to get there every quarter. I haven't been there once. So everything is being done virtually. But it's about inspiration. It's about purpose. It's about engagement, and it's about diverse leadership perspectives, ensuring that everybody understands we got to get, you know, all perspectives in the game, no matter where you are. And and, and, and how we, much value that adds to the business and how much value that adds to the bottom line, how much value it adds. You never would have, I, I, I would never have expected something like that, this kind of conversation 20 years ago, 30 yeah. years ago. That's for sure. I mean, at least the fact that we're having this conversation is important and it's our job, isn't it? To, to make sure that we continue the conversation across the board, across yeah. all of our, this profession, isn't it? Uh, right. What advice, what advice would you have to supply chain manufacturing leaders today that are struggling with, you know, the day-to-day uh, drudgery of running a business, keeping the PL, you know, you know what I'm talking about, the chasing your tail of every day, but trying to create a business with purpose. First off, they, they, they have to figure out why are they in it themselves? Because if you're not inspired, you're certainly not going to inspire anybody else in your organization. So if, if, if you're struggling uh, with, with this, you got to decide, is this really for you? Because manufacturing and supply chain is something you have to really be motivated to want to do, inspired to want to do, that every day I I want the challenges. uh, And I'm going to inspire my people to feel great about taking on these challenges. So the first thing I'd say is they need to really ask themselves, is this really what you want to do? If it is, then all the things that you see as negatives have to be viewed as opportunities. You know, when the the coronavirus hit in China, my teammates, my team there was telling me, you know, I said, hey, guys, you know, I I really feel bad. I wish I could be there. They said, Don, so we look at this as for every crisis, there's an opportunity. There's a Chinese character. Character literally means crisis and opportunity. So we have to always look at things in a supply chain. Every crisis is an opportunity. So that's the first thing I would tell them is they have to get their mindset and their personal well-being all right. Take care of themselves so that they can bring their whole self to their team. The second thing I would tell them is, if there's, again, if there's any function in a company where people have a chance to lead its supply chain, it's also the yes. place where you get the most diversity. Because at the plant level in particular, and even at the production planning level, at the DCs, across supply chain, most of the people you're going to have there are going to be folks who come from different walks of life. They're going. This is the ch- place yeah. where you're going to have the most diversity. Yep. So if you ignore that, that's an opportunity lost because that diversity allows you to, to find the best answers. That diversity allows you to get the, the sum of all those parts is going to be much greater than each of those added up individually because everyone's going to add on the learnings in different perspectives. Yeah. But it comes down to, are you actively releasing that? Are you actively promoting a climate 
that that uh, that's all about everyone's differences being celebrated. Yeah. Are, what what environment are you creating? Is it an energetic environment in which differences are celebrated and, and where everyone sees those differences as an opportunity for a new breakthrough idea that generates 12 points of improvement over the last 18 months? Or is it an environment where everyone's worrying about stepping out of line, falling into the norms? Don't say anything that, that the boss is going to get mad about. Don't give feedback unless it's positive only. If that's the environment you have, no. I'm glad because we're going to beat you every single time. I hope you change because if you want to win, you need to start addressing the issues of not just diversity and equity, but break all of that down and create an environment where there is no racism. There is no hate. Everyone sees new teammates as another opportunity, especially if they bring differences to get them closer to winning. You know what? And I'm going to, and I'm going to add another thing here, which is something I learned recently uh, by talking to you, which is highlight the stories of success from different backgrounds. If you're doing a good job, it's your responsibility to shine a light in those areas to give others, you know, the opportunity to to look at good examples, to see good examples. That's so much needed, uh, and that leads me to. I mean, I, I, you see, my background here is the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition or ARC, and, and our objective is to eradicate racism around the world and replace it with anti-racism. Spread anti-racism is what we want to do. We believe the best way to do that is to work with individuals to help them break down their walls of ignorance. All of us have ignorance about different things, racism and hate. So we're going to break those down. We'll help you do that and educate you on what anti-racism is and then help build your, your confidence and character to spread it. And we ask you to just spread it. Start with your own personal network, people that you know well, people that respect you and you respect. Get them to transform to be anti-racist and anti-hate, and then get them to do the same thing. I would encourage you to visit our website, to listen to our podcasts. Uh, The podcast is called The Arc of Change. You'll notice in the last podcast, I used that as an opportunity to share three stories uh, that are positive and that share best practices or learnings to what Maria was just saying, of people who have started to make this transformation. They're all in different places. Not everyone's going to make the transformation like that or tomorrow. No, but of course not. Share these good stories so everybody sees, hey, that guy sounded like me. That lady sounded like me. And I thought about doing that, but I was I was a little concerned. Oh, that person did that. That person was able to take that step and talk to their husband or their husband talk to their family, or for that person to challenge the people that the people they golf with and say, hey, you know, that's not the right way to think. That could be me. I'm inspired. That's what those stories do. So Maria, I encourage you. Just keep sharing the great work that your company's doing. You're a role model for what all companies should look like. And the success that you're generating tells people it's the differences that make you great, that make you agile and allow you to have competitive advantage. Donzo, I want to thank you for joining us. And for those of you watching and those of you listening, I encourage you to check out this website, check out the podcast that Donzel's got, check out these stories. It could be you and, and, and highlight the fantastic stories of diversity, inclusion, equity, and, uh, and let's continue this conversation. So thank you so much for participating here. And I'm sure we're going to have you again. Thank you, Maria. And it's www.joinarc.org, J-O-I-N-A-R-C-C. And the podcast is available on all your favorite podcast sites. And it's called The Arc of Change with Donzel Leggett. So thank you, Maria. This has been fantastic and wonderful. And for everyone out there, keep leading and keep inspiring. Thank you so much. And for those of you watching, we'll see you again soon.